I'd like to welcome everyone to today's show, The Truth. Today's guest, again, we have Christopher Hoyer in the continuation of reading the book, When That Day Comes, Training for the Fight. Today, we're going to go over Chapter 6 and try to roll into Chapter 7 as well with the FNG. And uh, Chris and I right now, before going live, are trying to convince Natalie to join us. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's a hard convincing trying to go. but shouldn't, still- shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, so he's only the editor, you know, and finishing her own book probably by tomorrow. So, but that's um, awesome. A girl needs yeah. time to prepare. Don't listen to that. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the common theme. Oh, I know. I know. So, so how long after, let, let's say, tomorrow when it's ready, will it be released? She's going to send it off to uh, the publishing company and then they'll send back a proof probably within about a week, something like that. Um, if the proof comes back the way she wants, she'll send that back for approval, and then it'll be another... 72 hours. Yeah, a couple, three days, four days, maybe at the most. Um, maybe plus time for shipping. So, um, technically supposed to be out in, like, March of this year by her birthday, but, you know, now we're end of the year, <laughs> which we're not going to talk about that. But because you're so needy with your stuff. See that? Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have them side by side on the shelves. Yeah, actually, yeah, we definitely are. Because um, we got a couple of places here in town that are that are selling mine, and as uh, soon as we can get hers up and running, yeah, we're gonna. It's gonna be like a, I don't know, maybe put it like a pair of handcuffs between the two of them or something. So, <laughs> you know, so. them together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. Yeah, it's pretty exciting, actually. Hers is going to be probably, I'm already told I'm going to be pissed off when hers becomes a bestseller before mine. So, but. Well, you know, the, the story behind it, I mean, both both of it, it's, I mean, yours and hers, it's, it needs to be out there. Yeah, it's just truly amazing how we end up connecting, you know, through our through our own different channels. But, uh, yeah, it's been, been pretty neat. So, Hence the book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> She asked me that the other day for the first time in quite a while. If I had not met her, would it be still sitting on my laptop? And I'm thinking probably, yeah. You know, it would probably never have gone anywhere because I don't have the first clue how to take care of something like this. And then, uh, you know, she came on board, took it over, and then ran with it, and, which is now why she's getting like 80% of the proceeds, but whatever. So. <laughs> so, uh, trying to keep it in-house. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying, but. Could be worse. Could be worse. So. Yeah, you let me know when you're ready, man. I'm. I got the book all set to go, and hopefully, I can see. That's the one. Yeah. Glad you got the new copy too, by the way. So. Oh, I am too. Yeah. So I need to think. Where's your reading glasses at? Get the, get the yeah, reading. Get the readers. No, that's the problem getting old. So let me try to find it really quick. So. And I don't have them, so that's all right. Yeah. Okay. So it's all it's all the uh, report writing for the years. Yeah. <laughs> the truth is, I can never write a police report. I can write a book. So. Here, I'll be my jacket. So. <clears throat> um. So yeah, that's it. Oh. Hey, look at that! All right. I'm gonna see if we can make this work. Are you guys laughing at me? It's going to be you pretty soon, she's, too. So. She, she, she's pretty she's pretty good, man. I mean, she makes sure that her hand don't even get on screen. <laughs> I know. Right? I know. <laughs> yeah. 
and she's you know she's brains behind the whole operation and everything else. So okay, here we go. Hey, there she is. <laughs> there she is finally. So all right, enough about her. <clears throat> Damn it. So, all right, all right. Let's go. Chapter six here. FNG. All right. On the outside, I projected nothing but confidence. On the inside, I was terrified. As I pulled up to the building and looked at the numbers, I knew I had uh, gotten the address wrong. Part of the testing process after the regular academy was the agency-specific academy, post-academy. I failed the first test question. I knew I had guessed it wrong. Damn it. I transposed two numbers on the address to my assigned precinct. In those days, folks could get fired for such an infraction, and I was already on the razor's edge. Stupid reloads. I started my first day with a lost look on my face. I was immediately directed to the briefing room by the all-knowing desk aide. Inside the briefing room were my future squad mates, uh, field training officer and sergeant. Fucking new guy. I heard one of them say, is this, gonna be, is this guy going to make it past day four? Uh, those are the first words ever spoken to me or to or about me as an officer by another officer. It was followed by a lot of chuckling at my expense. Awkward. Um, I found out that uh, my FTO had a kid before me, his first booter who quit on day four of training. This poor, this poor guy decided he could not go hands-on with bad guys. They tried to talk him out of quitting, but he, but the decision had been made. It seemed kind of silly to me go, to go all through, to go all through the training, uh, including academy, and not give the job more time. I figured only the booter himself knew what was what he was prepared to do, so I absolutely respected the decision. Still do. So there I was in my first briefing. Uh, there was an, the usual meet and greets, the tour of the station, and the obligatory "this is what I expect" speech. I thought it went well. In fact, I remember thinking to myself, "I'll be, I will be the same way when I have the opportunity." Then, when I gave my first ever answer to what, whatever question was asked, being asked of me, it was naturally followed by a resounding "Yes, sir." Okay, sit down. Let's get something straight right now. My FTO said, less than impressed with my eagerness. You made it. You are no longer in the academy, and as far as I'm concerned, we are partners now. No more of the sir shit. Got it? Yes, sir. I mean, okay, then. My FTO handed me a set of keys and said, go gas up the car. He was testing me already, and I failed miserably. I hadn't paid attention to the fact that the key ring had a number imprinted on it, uh, a number coinciding with the parking space the car was parked in. Duh. took me three trips around the parking lot before I realized, before I realized it. Most guys had trouble remembering their PIN number to the gas pumps. Not me. I had, I had that dialed in. I may not be able to find the car, but I can sure pump some fuel. Next, it was time for gear setup and stocking said car. Uh, I did not care one bit about any of this admin stuff. I just wanted to hit the street. Uh, I just wanted to hit the street. Preparation? Whatever. Let's go. Uh, my haste to bypass proper preparation was quickly and appropriately, appropriately extinguished. My first search as a sworn officer. Hey, Rook, come search this guy. Okay, no problem. Oh, yeah, you better double glove, double glove up. I'm sorry, what? Turned out our subject had decided to go swimming. No biggie. Except for the fact that he was swimming in a pool he had no right to be swimming in. Apparently, he jumped the fence of an apartment complex and went skinny dipping. Great. Then he urinated all over his own clothes and put them back on. Oh, my God. Ew. You'd think for my sake he would at least jump back in the pool for a quick rinse, but no. Selfish bastard. Would two pairs of gloves be enough? First day jitters? Gone. So, yeah, that was my first day on the <laughs> In the precinct, I was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be awkward. So, I just now <clears throat> caught on to the FNG, the freaking new guy. <laughs> I just now caught on to that. That's crazy. I've read this three, four times over, and I just now caught on to the FNG part. When yeah. you read it. 
So, truth be told, when I started this thing, I had a whole bunch of different titles that were subsequently changed throughout for some better, more direct things, if you will. So that was one that was changed early on. Um, a lot of them I didn't have titled at all. They were basically just, you know, chapter after chapter. And then she came along and put her magic touch to it and made them more, uh, more appropriate, I guess, if you want to use that word. So not that it really can be in, in this kind of a concept, but so. But, you know, it, it all goes back into like the shock value aspect as well, too. You know, when you try to sugarcoat and kind of take away the, the intensity of it, it's kind of like, you know, that guy going through training and everything else too, like the military, you know, they're the reason why everything is so dramatic initially is to kind of weed out the individuals that, you know, can't take it. Mm. But in a sense, you know, the more it's why a lot of individuals enlist or, you know, go through the Academy. They think it's because again, you know, seeing on TV and just thinking it is what it is until they really go see, you know, some of the things that you're exposed to, you know, some individuals may not see it in their whole career. Some individuals are exposed to it on almost on a daily basis, every other day, at least, and things like that as well, too. So, yeah, for sure. And you, you never know what your career is going to look like until you get, you know, neck deep in it. And then you start to realize that, eh, holy cow, that's when a lot of guys start wondering, can I make it another 15 years? You know, I don't know. Can't answer that really. So then they get a shit magnet for a partner. Oh my God. Right. I know. <laughs> Funny because there's there's so many guys that wanted to ride with me because of you know they thought they were they were gonna get into some stuff and sometimes they got more than they bargained for. You know? so it's uh I mean it was kind of cool sometimes but then other times they're like yeah we're done man I'm not coming back anywhere near you so you know, but, eh, you know whatever. So it was um uh, like when you go inside different agencies and everything with. You know, especially with you being able to have that that clear mind as far as, you know, overhearing what others were saying about you and things like that. You know, are there things that you try to influence or try to reflect to some of the cadets, basically, as far as, you know, how to overcome? You know, they're, I'm not going to say first day jitters, but you know, I mean, first day jitters when they go out. Is there anything that you try to, you know, provide to them to kind of encourage them to kind of fight it through? Usually I start with, um, you know, if it's, a, if it's a group of like brand new kids, typically, uh, usually the first thing I'll tell them is, man, you guys have no idea how lucky you are to be occupying those chairs because so many people can't and won't do this job for a long list of reasons. You know, they don't have the mental capacity. They don't have the physical capacity. You know, maybe they just have one arm or whatever else, whatever it is. And how many of your friends that you know have tested and then didn't make it the first time and then quit you know it's like yeah you, you can't do that so obviously you guys are fighters and you made it through where you are so you're in a privileged position to be here um and then don't forget that all that bullshit you went through to get hired on all the bullshit to get through the academy all the bullshit you're going through to get off fto you know when you finally start you know getting your battle rhythm down and getting on the street and realizing mm -hmm. that you know all that street stuff that you're, you're dealing with now is the easy part for the most part, because all that other stuff was the hard part, just getting here where you are. So um, I try to remind them of that. And then, you know, the, the passion of why we do what we do, you know, I mean, I was talking to a guy today and uh, he asked me flat out, he goes, I don't, I don't really know why we do this. What do you think? I go, well, it's for the money clearly, you know, obviously, but you know, in all reality, it's, it's truly a calling. And I haven't really ever been able to answer that question thoroughly other than it's just it's a calling because who's stupid enough to go put a badge and a gun on and go get paid to get shot at 
You know, I mean, who does that? We do. And why? Because, uh, I mean, clearly because we just think it's the greatest thing in the world. And it is, you know, until you get shot at, then you realize it actually kind of sucks. But when you survive it, God willing, then if you can, if you can get past it and keep going forward, you realize, man, you're here for a higher purpose. You know, you're here for a very specific reason to, you know, I mean, we can do the, the cliche of, you know, help other people and make a difference and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's all true as well. But I think it goes much deeper than that. And it's, it's something truly down in your soul that, you know, very few people will ever understand until you're actually doing it, you know, so. And then you always have the naysayers, like the, the negative ones that, well, you signed up for it. Well, yeah, I did. But I mean, it's because nobody else will, you know, and, yeah, and again, right. it does take that passion. It does take that, you know, that drive to actually want to make a difference. You know, I mean, there are going to be those that, you know, want to chase the bad guy, drive as fast as they want to and stuff. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's still a calling in that as well, too, you know, but you know, it goes hand well, in hand. Yeah, I was, I was talking about class today and I said, hey, man, you guys need to realize that, you know, you don't need to create big fish stories. Okay. Don't go searching for stuff because I guarantee it's going to land in your lap and you'll have all kinds of great stories throughout your career. Um, if you go seeking it, you're going to get yourself jammed up because now you're, you're kind of a, you know, you know, you're, you're bloodthirsty almost on some level, you know, when you're out there and you're, you turn yourself into a bully if you're out looking to get into fights all the time. Um, and I tell them all the time. I mean, every, every time I start talking about use of force stuff, I mean, first things first, de-escalation, man, I, I'd much rather talk my way out of a fight than get into a fight. Don't get me wrong. When it happens, it's it's go time. It's awesome. It's a blast. You know, the first time I got into a knockdown track, I got, I was like, yeah, I'm getting paid for this. This is great. But I quickly realized how dangerous that it was, you know, and this isn't the academy in a controlled environment with instructors standing over you. Now this is this is serious. I mean, you can get seriously injured if you don't pay attention to what's going on around you. So, yeah, and that's where a lot of people, I'm not going to say fall blind, but when it becomes that non-controlled environment, you know, you wouldn't you chris and i you know had that conversation about the unorthodox opposed to like what you're actually trained for with the orthodox to where it's not that controlled environment you have so many other different factors you have you know family friends or even just other bystanders of whoever the subject that you're confronting you know try to join in and make it even worse you know it's it's things right. that you sometimes you can't plan for but i mean other times you can you know ready yourself and you know that's where the training for the fight comes into it you know, there are certain things that you could be cognizant of and know how to pick your battles, basically. Yeah. You know, like, or wait for the backup and things like that, you know, so. Well, I, you know, of course, I take it to the, I, I go kind of two different directions. First, of course, you know, it's it's a full-on blown mindset. I mean, you've got to have the right mindset to be able to um, handle the fact that you're out there and you're doing stuff that's really dangerous. Um, fear, fear comes later. You know, you can't be afraid during you know, after you get done and you can shake it off, you're like, holy shit, man, that was really bad. Um, clearly, the second half is going to be all about the tactical stuff, you know. Um, my uh, The guy that I work with, close kind of a partner of mine, um, him and I are on two different levels of uh, using weapon-mounted lights. He swears that in all his time in the Marine Corps, he never needed a weapon-mounted light. Me, I'm on the side of, I think you absolutely have to have one. Um, and we just, we agree to disagree on the whole topic of it. But that's just one of those things where, just like you're talking about, you're, you know, I remember the very first time I'm rolling around on the ground with my partner and another guy, and I see what ended up being the guy's brother approaching us from the side. Luckily, I was kind of heads up, 
And as the guy's approaching us, getting ready to jump on my, my buddy, I stood up and put my gun light in his face, bought me just enough time to, you know, move off the X and get him out of, out of harm's way, if you will, you know, and that's one of those tiny little things that can happen a hundred different times over. It may not work the same way every time. Um, but playing that what if game that you and I talk about on a regular basis, you know, that's one of those, Hey, what if this guy comes off your peripheral and you need, you need to get him stopped, you know, what's an easy way to do that, you know, weapon mounted light, really simple, you know, so. You can't hit a target. You can't see. And on top of that, you know, if, you know, even in, you know, you having your tactical and going like this, you know, it's, you have zero hands free. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that that's a big factor in it. You know, it's I mean it frees up one of your hands as well too, because now you can see what you're doing, you can see your targets, you can see subjects, you can see everything else going on, and you have that free hand. You know, because what what are you going to drop first? Are you going to drop the, the tactical light? Or are you going to drop your your firearm, your sidearm? Yeah. You're, right. you're sure the hell not going to drop your sidearm. So now you're just blind. You know, in this situation, so it's yeah. There's there's other chapters I'll talk about. You know, weapon mounted lights and these kinds of things, and and the what I consider the usefulness of them and some guys are like yeah I'll, I'll never do that which say hey, you know what great i'm not saying it's you know the chris hoyer way it's a way you take it to the next level whatever that is and i'm not a i've got a buddy back in phoenix he's a huge expert flashlight guy he can teach you all kinds of really neat shit as far as i'm concerned you know dark areas need light and that's pretty much what it boils down to for me and you take that to the next level whatever it is you know so but uh anywho what do you think ready for uh Number seven here. Yes, I think sir. this one's longer. So, yes, it is. All right. Let's see if I can uh, get through this thing. I'm my reading tonight kind of sucks, by the way, but <laughs> I'm working on it. So, I should make Natalie read it actually. So, that would make for a good intro right there. That would make for a great intro. I think we should double right. tag team her and make her do it. The the actual editor and. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna say author, but the editor and the one that put it all together, reading it in, you know, her words. Yeah, editor in chief is pretty much what it is here. But, uh, commander in chief, yeah. All right. Well, since it's my book, I guess I got to do the reading. So, but sometime at some point, if uh, if she doesn't read mine, it's gonna be hers, and then I'm gonna be on the other side of the couch laughing at her like she's doing to me right now. So. Okay, so chapter seven is caught. Well, one of the things, too, I mean, real quick, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no, 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 no. You know, because I mean, one of the things, too, that is really kind of the way that I see it of why it's so important for her to join at least one of these broadcasts is because, you know, as she was editing that, you know, and a lot of the viewers don't know like the whole backstory behind it all. Right. But in the same sense, I mean, you know, her as she's putting it in print for us, you know, yeah, she's being able to read your words, but she's putting it in the sense for us. And, you know, it'd be a great discussion to see what was going through her head as she was like reading for the first time. You know, like you like you said before, you know, she just knew you as this guy just riding the motorcycles and just laid back guy. And then finally, the that first time actually reading through that, like, this is you <laughs> or this is what you experienced. You know, I mean, and that's going to be a good side to see, like, you know, what she experienced, what she's seen as she was actually reading through that and everything else, too, and trying to put it in perspective to where didn't really soften the words, but still kind of drew us all in to have that true ride along. It's a read along, ride along. Yeah, that's that's what they're saying. Um, there's lots of things that um, she tells me all the time that she just she can't see me getting, you know, my hands dirty that way. It just doesn't 
doesn't compute, you know, because I'm still that kind of laid back, chill guy. And I was still, I mean, truth be told, I was that way in uniform all throughout my entire career. And until it was time to get dirty, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about being a dirty cop. I'm just talking about when you got to get on the ground and roll around. And I tell the story of uh, my food truck story where by the time we got done, I'm literally kicking this guy in the face. When I'm, when I've gotten to the point where I'm kicking you in the face, things have gone really, really wrong. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the worst case scenario short of shooting somebody, of course, but, um, but she, she just can't picture that. She's like, I, I don't see that from you because I've, I've never really shown that side and nor do I really want to, because when that, when that part of me comes out, it's a little bit scary, you know, sometimes. And I'm like, I, sometimes I can't even believe it. I'm like, how, how did I survive 20 years being such a mellow headed type of dude? Oh, you know, when they, they provoke you and they prompt you to want to get into fights with them and shit. It's like, well, you kind of asked for it, man. I'm sorry. You know, I dust them off when I'm done and I'm picking up teeth off the ground and shit, but it's like, I didn't, I didn't want to do this, but you know, I can't, I can't, this is where the mental part comes in. I can't lose a fight. And that's not because I'm some kind of a rock star by any stretch of imagination. That's got nothing to do with it. Cause I mean, don't get me wrong. I've gotten my ass kicked many times over, but um, I know that just because I get punched in the face is not going to be taking me out of the fight. You know what I mean? So I get that mindset and I'm like, all right, well, when I, when I got to turn it on, it's going to get turned on to the max that I have. And usually, well, every time so far, it's always worked, but uh, of course dealing with her, it might be different. You know, she might just <laughs> slap me once I'll be done. So, <laughs> you know, so. but um, yeah, but I'll let her when, uh, whenever she gets around to it, she says the next time, She's been kind of muttering under her breath over there that next time we do this, she'll get on board and, and uh, help, I guess. So we'll, we'll have her narrative. Yeah. Well, so that'll be probably a longer show. Maybe this weekend we can do it. And because uh, she's got a lot to talk about, a lot more than I do, because her story is way more special than mine. So, but uh, anywho, all right, ready to try again? Yes, sir. I won't cut you off this time, my bad. Nah, no worries, man. I like it. Back at it. All right, so chapter seven is uh, caught in the teeth of turmoil. All right, so an officer got into a nasty, deadly force confrontation, and we, as a recruit class, were lucky to hear hear it firsthand. Still wet behind the ears in the academy. I remember his story sounding a lot like a scene from Lethal Weapon. That's cool shit, yeah. Wait, that happened. Uh, that happened, and where? Broad daylight, and she tried to kill you. That shit doesn't really happen, does it? Am I right? Um, no one dares mess with us. As a rookie, I, shrug, I shrugged stories like that off. I mean, we were cops. This is all about having fun, jumping fences, and thumping bad guys. Mind you, at this point, I was only six or seven weeks into my field training. I was feeling on fire. Real-life danger and turmoil wasn't a consideration. Not really. Um, better rethink that one, young grasshopper. Um, this brings me to my first big lesson as an officer. It happened in 1999, and it led me down a path towards some pretty serious groundwork for mental preparedness. For future, for my future in police work. 
So the subtitle was my first dog fight. Um, it was an early morning in August. I was out on the hunt, the dog call. I was free as a no FTO one year and ready to take on the world. I was solo, bitches. Officer, officer, we need help. Uh, how can I help you find, sir? These dogs have been chasing us for 45 minutes. Dogs? Shit, I can handle this. No backup needed. Rabies, con rabies animal control had already been called out and they were not coming. I got this. I'm no strangers to dogs. I'm no stranger to dogs. I grew up with them. In my carpet days, one of my clients had a giant Roddy. This lady was petrified at the thought of her dog getting loose and tearing me into pieces. Long story short, the Roddy got loose and found me on the, on the bedroom floor passing a hole. Supposedly, he hated men and me being a man, albeit an honest-to-goodness dog person just assumed he wanted to play. And I was right. He found me, and the next thing I knew, he was rolling on the floor while I was slapping him around like we were old buddies. Suddenly, I heard a loud scream coming from the other side of the house. I cannot believe it, the lady said. How did you get him to play with you? He got me, ma'am. He just approached me and seemed to be okay. It's probably because I was already on his level. That being said, I was fully confident in handling dogs on the street. After all, I was raised around dogs my whole life. This particular call didn't raise any red flags because there was nothing new to me, or so I thought. Did I mention I got this? Just as soon as I found the dog in question, I stepped out of my patrol vehicle. What I hadn't considered was that when female dogs are in heat, their male companions become quite territorial, and based on this rather large dog's bad mood and aggressive behavior, that seemed to be the case. I realized uh, just about the time that the 150-pound pissed-off Roddy sunk his teeth into my gun hand. He must have assumed I was after his woman. Dude, I ripped my hand away from the iron-jawed monster and spewed, ace, spewed OC spray at his face. So you see, I had a backup plan of sorts. The ferocious dog was temporarily blinded, yet still moving toward me. He went headlong into the wheel of my car, which I'm sure just pissed him off even more. I'm imagine, I imagine he was saying to himself, where are you at? Where are you at, you skinny little milkbone? It was a game of ring around the rosy, the two of us dancing around my car. It didn't take him long to get on my heels and uh, find an opening for attack. In a virtual panic, I turned and took one shot from 12 feet away, hitting the giant charging, snarling, and lunging beast. It was a headshot, one and done. Although I was 10 feet tall, solo, and ready to take on the world, panic began to set in as I radioed it in. Um, 998, officer involved shooting. Yes, I was forced to shoot a dog. Putting out a 998 was not standard protocol for dispatching dogs or animals. Let's just say, even though I've been uh, commended for my actions, I have yet to live that one down. Um, man, I never saw anyone draw that fast, a witness exclaimed. You're not kidding. That dog was hell-bent on killing me. Though not your typical call, there are a few hard lessons learned. Uh, you want to pause or anything? You want to jump in? After this, after you okay, cover this okay. lesson one, lesson two. You know me, man. I like to just keep on rambling, so you got to stop me. So, Yes, sir. All right. So lesson one, calls can go uh, can quickly go to shit. Lesson two, even though it's a small event, I, as an officer, am in charge of the call, and it's up to me to put a stop to it. Yeah, it was just a dog, no biggie. Am I right? Right. However, it was still real life, real danger, and there was a very real syringe at the emergency room to clean out the bite wound and, of course, the very real rabies shot. Thanks again to the nurse who gouged me with the giant needle. Write me a ticket, will you? I never even met you before. Jeez, that's kind of what I was thinking when she was freaking digging out. I'm like, okay, uh, this really kind of hurts. Leave me alone. So that that hurt worse than a dog bite. So, uh, Well, on top of that, it being your shooting hand as well, too. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it totally was. Yeah, so... Um, and after I got done, I didn't even realize I had freaking blood all down the side of my holster, my gun, everything else. You know, I mean, it, I still got the scar. You can't see it here, but that was 1999, and it's still I still got the tooth mark in my hand. It's kind of crazy, but um, 
So, uh, in all seriousness, seriousness, how bad could this dog all have been? Well, imagine a mom running with her baby stroller, the little kids playing in the park where it all began, or the rabies animal control officer with a snare and no gun. I shudder to think. Even with a plan in place, I was far behind the curve. Despite the somewhat successful outcome, I never expected this, which brings me to the final lesson. Lesson three. It is best to plan for the unknown because you never know what fight awaits you next. Oh, yeah. As if the dog bite wasn't bad enough, the dog's owner filed a complaint against me, threatening to sue. The complaint sounded a little like something like, my dog's a champion breeder, he does the laundry, he drives the kids to school, and your officer murdered him in cold blood. Okay, sir, but you're looking at a felony for aggravated assault on a police officer, plus public endangerment, another bookable offense. Okay, then never mind, the dog owner said, backing down. Yeah, I thought so. So... That's but I mean, that's I mean that, that's a that's a perfect scenario though because again going back mm -hmm. to I mean you and I have spoken about this a hundred times over in regard to you know becoming lackadaisical in our careers you know just thinking that oh it's just another one of these calls and especially with animals you know not just even just dogs but animals are so unpredictable you know it, it kind of falls into that category like you and i have discussed multiple times in regards to something being unorthodox to where you know you don't know the dog's behavior and then you're still trying to be cognizant of the surroundings as far as you know the dog owner if they do have kids things like that that could really make the situation bad you know if that dog's being aggressive and then one of the you know the kids come over to try to you know control the set animal it, it could just make things, you know, completely, completely sideways. Yeah, and it's, right. and, and, you know, you, you said it perfect too. It's like, you know, sometimes we have to learn lessons like this by experience. In the same sense, it's one of the blessings that, you know, you have been through certain things like this that, you know, some individuals may laugh at it like, oh, it's just a dog case and things like that. But, you know, it's the having to put a dog down, especially if somebody themselves are, are like a, a dog lover. You know, are you going to have what it takes? Kind of like what we spoke about before about, you know, the gentleman that said he knew that he would never draw firearm in his whole career, right. you know, to where, you know, if somebody that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, you know, has that passion towards animals, even though they're tearing you apart, are you going to be able to say, hey, <laughs> I have to make this, you know, unfortunate decision, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's a big, big, big play in, you know, training officers where, you know, it's questions like that. You know, even though it's a checkbox on the application, hey, if if a situation arises, will you draw a firearm and shoot another human being? Yes. Right. You know, it's, it's a checkbox. And we're going to say yes, just because we know it's going to be a part of their decision in bringing us on or not. But in the same sense, in reality, you know, would you be able to defend yourself against a dog and draw a firearm? Or would you try to do anything else and just, you know, ultimately can take your life? Because especially if you go to the ground and they hit jugular or anything else like that. I mean, there's so many different scenarios that, you know, ends up to where it was your life loss rather than dogs. I'm not going to say that, you know, one's greater than the other, but, you know, just like the dotted line that we sign our names on, you know, we're putting our lives before, you know, anybody else, you know, so. Well, I'll tell you, man, of all the stuff I've been involved with, um, killing an innocent animal was by far worse than any other, any other person I've had to shoot. Um, we, I like how you use that word innocent, but it, was, it wasn't an innocent animal. You know, and, and that's where uh, it, it sucks talking about it like this. But in reality, if right, right. an animal was attacking me, that is no longer an innocent animal. Well, you know, I'll, I'll unless I was provoking it, like smacking it in the head with a newspaper right. or something yeah. like that, you know. But, 
Right. You know, so, well, I'll, I'll tell you why I say it that way. Only because, like I mentioned earlier on, he's protecting his his woman. You know, so all that's he's just saying, "Hey, dude, you're on my turf, man. You need to back off," kind of a thing. And because I did, I I mean, I didn't put this part in the book, but um, she seemed fine. So there were two dogs out there, and when I went to go touch her, she seemed perfectly friendly. And this dude came out of nowhere and latched onto my gun hand. So. That's where I was like, well, okay, now I need to make a decision, which I did have a plan in place, had my pepper spray ready, and that just that pissed him off even more. And um, I literally, I went around, so I go around the, the passenger side of my car, basically parked in the curb lane. I go around the front of the car. Um, she's probably about 10, 10 yards or so onto the grass, and I go make contact with her. The other one come, I don't even know where he was. He came out of nowhere, and uh, – Again, he like I said, he got my gun hand, so I ripped my hand out of his freaking jaw. I freaking hosed him with probably the entire can of pepper spray, which, you know, thinking about it now, it's kind of weird. I don't remember where that can ever ended up. I never went back for it, so it's probably still laying there 20-some-odd <laughs> years later. Um, but then I did. I swear, I just backed up, and then he basically made a beeline and started charging straight at me. So that was one of those things where uh, I talk a lot about footwork, and I had trained a lot for this, even though I had a year on. I had trained for a lot of footwork for just this kind of a scenario as it turned out, which of course you never know. And when I got right pretty much to the edge of my car, I just freaking moved at last second. And he went, I swear he went freaking headlong right into my car and actually hit the ground, got back up within probably two seconds. By that time I moved around the front of my car and I'm literally, I'm backing up. And by the time I got about literally, I'm not kidding about 12 feet behind my car. He was pretty much right at my, my back fender and he was, in a full sprint, he was down, you know, on all fours, basically lunging, getting ready to freaking launch on top of me from that far away. And it was one, it wasn't one of those things where, you know, okay, when the target turns, raising fire two rounds and, you know, you know, sight picture and smooth trigger press and all that shit. It was more like, ah, you know, I mean, I pulled my gun out of my holster so fast and fired off a round before I even knew what it was. Just miraculously lucky shot, got him dead center between the eyes. Um, and it sucked because I hated it because it looked exactly like this. He's like mid-step and he had his, his front paw forward and he just dropped over like this and he was dead. I'm like, fuck, you know, I, I still feel guilty about that to this day, you know, but it was, again, it was either, I mean, he was clearly going to jump on top of me. And then what am I going to do after that? Once he gets a hold of my throat, it's probably going to be game over. You know, even if I do have a gun, I can, you know, maybe try to crank some rounds into his belly that might stop him. But at that point in time, 150 pound Roddy, and I was only graduated. You guys heard the last story: 140 pounds, soaking wet. <laughs> you know, so it was a, it was going to be a big challenge for me. So, well, on top of that as well, too. I mean, because it's, you know, females can become just as aggressive as well mm. in that situation. Yeah. You know, so I mean, you know, if you could have been battling the male, you know, the female could have came over just as much. You know, I mean, it's the, you know realistically when you look at like fighting dogs some of the most successful fighting dogs are actually some of the female dogs of you know specific breeds you know really? so didn't know that yeah and i don't know I, maybe the, the gunshot freaked her out she took off i never saw her again um and the truth of the matter was all it ended up being was a neighbor that was supposed to be watching this guy's dogs and they weren't doing their job and they both got out you know and um they were they were these guys were trying to do some work on one side of the road for like 45 minutes like dogs kept chasing them back to their truck and when I showed up, these guys are sitting on the roof of their truck. I'm like, well, that doesn't look right. So, and of course, me being the freaking 
resident ship magnet. I was right there when the call came out. And they're like, hey, we got this thing. And I'm like, hey, I'm on scene already. Boom, here we go. You know, I like dogs. And again, <laughs> being probably somewhat complacent, probably somewhat 10 feet tall, somewhat out free and solo, I can handle anything kind of a thing, which is good, which is what you want, except for the complacency part. Um, the complacency part came in for me because I knew I could handle dogs because I wasn't afraid of them. Never had any bad experiences with them. I was always good to go. It wasn't a thing. Um, and then all of a sudden things go completely the opposite direction that I ever expected. I'm like, wow. But clearly I took a lot of lessons away from that whole thing. It's like, wow, yeah, it was just a dog. But I mean, look how quickly things went to shit. You know I mean? Like really quick. So, you know. What's important as well, too, because again, it's going on the, you know, just because you're comfortable with certain situations, it's like with individuals that are, you know, traffic cops their whole career. You know, they're complacent, they're comfortable with doing, you know, kind of like, you know, the beginning stories about, you know, you having that choice to take that DUI or, <laughs> you know, but, you know, some individuals are more comfortable with doing certain things like that. And it's like the, because it's, it's normal to them, but what happens when that normal becomes the unnormal? Right. You know, right. are you going to be ready for that? You know, and it's the, again, going back to the whole complacency aspect of everything where, you know, individuals even being ready for the normal to be the unnormal. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I, I mean, I talk about it so many times over, you know, so many things that saved my life about that what if game, you know, and I hadn't really gotten to that point yet with my career where I was really practicing that on a, on a regular basis. I kind of had it in the back of my mind, but again, that's one of those scenarios that, you know, if you look at the totality of the circumstances of what happened there, I pretty much did everything I could do. And yeah, it came out successful, but um, that could easily have gone the other way. I mean, I could have, I could have tripped. I could have given, because I backed out in the middle of the freaking road, you know, cars, luckily it was six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday uh, or six 30, whatever time it was. So luckily there wasn't a whole lot of traffic, but I wasn't thinking about that shit. I was thinking those, I'm going to get freaking killed. This dog's going to kill me, you know? So it went straight into survival mode. Yeah, again, just a dog. But um, if you've ever been bit by a 150-pound Rottweiler in your hand, that shit doesn't feel good. I was like, ah, it kind of hurts, you know. And that's, again, that's one of those things where the fear come came later. The fear and the pain, as soon as I got done, was like, oh, you know, I'm fucking bleeding all over everything kind of thing, you know. And it was kind of funny because, um, you know, my boss showed up, and then one of the – she – like commanded my uh, one of my buddies in my squad to transform me to the hospital. And I'm like, all right, I don't think we need all this, you know, wrap up my hand and then I'll just drive myself. She's like, no, we're not doing that. And they drove me to the hospital. And then of course, when I get back to the precinct, I've got <laughs> no bullshit. I've got a booking slip filled out with all the dog's information on it. And I'm like, you guys are a bunch of assholes. <laughs> so, which of course was their way of saying, we're glad you're okay. But still I was like, all right. Well, you know, I mean, well, I mean, we're calling out to 998 in the first place, you know what I mean? It was kind of <laughs> like, the, oh, shit, we need to get here. And it's like, you know, was, but anyway, so it's, well, uh, I, will, I will I can, tell you, I can imagine is, those stories. there is no stranger feeling in the world, especially when you're brand new and you don't know any better. When you're standing in the middle of a street in a neighborhood and you fire your gun, you know, that's, that's something really, really weird. It really, truly was. Um, I think that was part of the panic mode where I went into and I'm like, Okay, I fired the gun multiple times on the range and this kind of shit, no big deal. But um, when you've got cars and people all around you and it's a, it's a completely uncontrolled environment and you're firing off your weapon, dude, that, that changes everything. It changes completely everything about what your what your mindset is. I'm like, holy shit, uh, what do I do? Uh, 
no, no, well, no. On top of that as well, too, you have to take into consideration that, you know, one of the things like being cognizant of the situation, you know, even with dog owners, you know, as soon as someone hears discharge of firearm, they themselves can also go into that panic mode or also go into retaliation mode or go with there, there's so many scenarios oh, yeah. that could play out from that. Like maybe yeah. just kill my dog and just, you know, retaliate on you. So now, you know, by you defending your life, you put your life in jeopardy, you know, so right, there's yeah. so many things that. Well, I mean, I didn't mention that in the part of the story, but the, the, the homeowner was on vacation. So he didn't even know about this for a couple of days. So luckily he wasn't on the scene. Cause I could definitely see, because being a huge dog lover myself, somebody did that to one of my dogs. I'd have freaking lost my lost my mind. But um, clearly, in the defense of your own life of a human, you know, sorry, humans got to come first, man. You know, I mean, I love dogs, but there's plenty of people that I'd rather freaking have put in the ground than an animal. But still, I mean, in all reality, it just, it just can't be that way, you know. So, but so yeah, that's my my dog story. So, but that was the beginning of you know that training for the fight kind of thing where it starts escalating and I'm like, okay. And when I look back on it, um, cause I had two or three other incidents where it was close, same exact scenario, almost where it was almost a dog, almost a dog, almost a dog. And then it was a dog. And then it was almost a bad guy, almost a bad guy. And then it was a bad guy. And clearly, you know, escalated to the rifle and then ended with the rifle gunfight. So, I mean, I'd pretty much stair-stepped all the way through my career, you know, and the only thing left for me was I'm going to get shot myself. And I'm like, yep, time to call call it quits so that's when i left pretty much but, so but i mean i mean one of the most important aspects of it all though is the fact that you know you're able to take away those three lessons from it i mean i'm sure there's probably more than just those three lessons but you know you being able to pinpoint three main lessons because now that just gave you ammunition on you know training the next individual again yeah. the complacency that we find in our careers and things like that where you know you're gonna have to have the readiness for moments like this you know, it's just a dog. Well, it's sometimes it's not just a dog. You know, what if you're going to a, you know, where individuals are running like one of those fight rings or something, you know, I mean, there's yeah, so right. many different scenarios, you know, are you going to be able to do what you have to do in this scenario? You know, and a lot of people, it's, they're going to tell you yes, just like they checked that box on the application, but not many individuals would be able to do what it took to, because, you know, let's just say that that dog turned on the people watching it or anybody else. It could have, like, went so many different ways, you know, especially after, you know, having no sea spray in his face, you know. It's like, so. Well, you know, I mean, you hit it on the head. I mean, just a dog. But obviously it went went bad very, very quickly. Um, and you, you just never know what it's going to what it's gonna turn into. And I think, and I, I say this jokingly all the time, that any clown can pull the trigger. I mean, that really, that was the easy part, pulling the trigger. But, you know can you move on from that after a traumatic incident like that? And it's not just because you, you took the life of an animal, but everything else that factors into that whole thing, it's like, you know, the reverse, what if game, well, what if I didn't shoot the dog? What could have happened? What if he had gotten away and did go attack that mom with her baby stroller or whatever else your mind starts working overtime and playing all these little tricks on you and making you question yourself and your abilities and your tactics and everything else. And you just got to realize it's like, look, man, yeah, you, you made the decision to, to respond to that call, um, but you didn't make the decision to have to respond the way you did. They set that up for you. You took care of business. You know, if you have that kind of a mindset, I was telling the guys that today in one of my classes, it's like, look, man, everything that we do, more often than not, especially for use of force incidents, we're behind the curve 100% of the time, you know. Um, so you know the things that you need to know to take care of business. You deal with the hard part after of the aftermath of it, you know, so. And the dealing with is the part that nobody can really grasp, 
I mean, you can replace a paper target you just shot five times with a pin, another paper target. Mm-hmm. You can't replace a life you just took with another life. And that's just that, that that's the part that, you know, even if someone does live and you had a fire on another human being, you know, that, that's enough to break some people down, you know, well, and animals and know, stuff. It's just, it's kind of, kind of funny you say that in some level, because I was talking to, I keep referring back to my class. I have uh, a couple guys in my class today and I was explaining about firearm stuff and letting them know it's like, look, you know, you guys aren't armed. They want to be armed soon. They're, they're security guards for this particular class I was teaching today. And they're, they're like, yeah, man, I want to get a gun. I want to be armed. I'm like, you need to realize that the shit you see on TV, lethal weapon, like I mentioned earlier, that's not reality. And I said, you know, this whole freaking shoot them in the leg, shoot the knife out of their hand, all this bullshit, that does not, it does not happen. If you get lucky, yeah, every once in a while, yeah, it'll happen. Extremely unlikely it's going to happen that way. You have to have the mindset that if you have made that decision to pull your firearm out of your holster with intent to use it, and then you have come up on target and decided to fire, um, you're not shooting to wound this guy. You are shooting to kill this person. I mean, that's just a fact. You need to realize that now before you pull the trigger and end up taking a life. Because if you haven't figured that out beforehand, you're going to be even further behind the curve when you realize that, holy shit, I was trained to, to shoot. I didn't realize I was trained to kill, you know, mm-hmm. and I hate using that terminology, but it's a fact, you know. And again, if you're if you put in that kind of a situation where you're forced to use your weapon, they made that decision for you. Hey, you know what? You knew what you were doing. I'm not going to apologize for that because I'm walking home. You know, and I'm going to go back to my family or I can be in court talking about it. But if I'm dead, you know, it's not going to be that way. So well, on top of that as well, too, you know, you know, if you have a subject and, you know, depending on area, you know, if there's other individuals that ultimately, you know, could lose their lives because said subject was not put down. You know, people get on me all the time when I use that phrase put down. But I mean, it's it's what it, it is, what it is. You know, you have to put somebody down. You have to put them down, period. You know, and, you know, just like in the, you know, it's trained to shoot torso. I mean, you and I have covered this before. And, and the reason why is because, like you just said, you know, it's the, you know, you might have that one look of the draw chance where you do shoot. You know, you have a sniper somewhere that shoots the you know, the firearm or the knife out of somebody's hand. But you're some moving parts, you're not, you're not going to do it. The legs, the arms, you know, it's. You know, unless the snipers, you know, backing you up and things like that. But when it's just you drawing firearm, it's torso because it's the most still <laughs> direct well, shot that you're going to get. That's, and again, that's why the paper targets are torsos. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I take it to the next level when I talk about stuff that I never really never even dawned on me until, you know, years and years later that, you know, fortunately, I got I got exceptionally lucky with most of my critical incident, except for losing Dave, of course. Um, but these things don't happen, you know, I mean, they don't, they happen to me cause I'm the freaking shit magnet times 10, but uh, most of the time it's not going to be a situation where, you know, everything is perfect in your world. It's going to be the end of your shift. You just chase this guy over like five fences. You know, you just got the phone with your wife and she's pissed off at you cause you're whatever, you know, your daughter just got into a car accident and you're, you're thinking about that. Your boss won't let you leave. It's the end of your shift and you haven't eaten all day long. All these other things that is keeping you from thinking about what you're supposed to be doing at work. And then you're faced with a critical incident. It's like, oh, shit. So I'm already behind the curve based on the critical incident. Now I got to factor in all this other shit, too. 
and I'm even further behind the curve. And now you've got to perform at the top level, which is going to be, if you're lucky and you train really hard, probably maximum. Like in my case, I consider myself probably somewhere around 85% for my last one. Um, and believe me when I tell you, man, I trained hard. I trained freaking harder probably than anybody else. And I know, um, and I still fell way behind the curve. And if you're not even at that level, at best, you're probably going to be at about 70%. You know, statistically speaking, of course, I mean, everybody, you know, trains differently. They get lucky. I mean, I mean, it could be one, one of a million things, you know, I mean, you could be just lights out and just freaking get lucky and freaking hit the guy with one shot and he's done, but that shit doesn't happen to me. <laughs> well, there's so many different things that, you know, a lot of people don't take into consideration fatigue. You know, some officers oh, yeah. working the 12, 15 hour days, sometimes pulling doubles. And I mean, the fatigue and then, you know, everything just, you know, just dragging along, dragging along, dragging along. And then all of a sudden it is that critical incident, you know, or you could be ready for that. And then also it goes back to the, you know, who's really enlisting because of the passion to actually make a difference. You know, who's enlisting for their own, you know, selfish reasons or because they, you know, have ulterior motives outside of really making that difference. And then, you know, they hear the call across the radio dispatches trying to find someone to respond to said critical incident and they decide not to go there. You know, and it's, well, I'm handling this over here when they're probably at the donut shop. You know, I hate saying it like that, but realistically, I mean, you know, some law enforcement agencies, the officers within those agencies do have that discretion to hear dispatch and just kind of just let it blow past and ignore it. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's a shame, you know, because then it does put somebody that otherwise shouldn't be on that call that may be fatigued or that just shouldn't be on that call, right. you know, handling that call. So it's yeah. so many different factors that. It's, it's absolutely endless. You know, I mean, you heard the story a hundred times, you know, I mean, 30 minutes before the gunfight of my life, I'm impounding weed at the station. You know, next thing you know, I'm fighting for my life. It's like, man, you know, who knew? Same thing, end of shift. I mean, it was 2.30 when I got out, when I started, got the call, secured at four, you know, and of course my dumb ass, I'm like, yeah, it's 2.30. I still got time to get into something. <laughs> you know, so, um, just, but, I, you mean, know, I mean, just, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, there's always that the two ways to look at it. But again, you know, how many more lives would have been lost that day? You know, unfortunately, you know, Dave lost his, but you know, if you didn't make the decision to be a part of that critical incident, yeah, you know, and if you weren't able to put that, that guy down yeah. period, you know, how well, many other innocents would have right. been lost rather than just having to put him down, yeah. you know, and it's, and I believe me, I've, I've struggled with that for years now. It's been coming up on six years since that thing happened. And, you know, what I've taken, I've taken a lot of things away from that clearly. I mean, all kinds of different things. But one of the things I took away from that was there's obviously a reason why I was there and a reason why I survived it. You know, when Dave took two out of three rounds and was killed, I took zero out of three rounds and survived. But I mean, it's not, it's not like you weren't being fired at though. It's not like, you know, there wasn't like three, three inches of not three foot from your head. You know what I mean? It's yeah. the, it's not like you weren't, endanger yourself though you know what i mean yeah that's true that's you do downplay it a lot man but i mean it's the reality is that you are just as much danger as dave himself being you know close range you know opposed to you know your distance but i mean it's the you did what you had to do and it's a blessing well, that you did what you did made a decision to do what you did yeah you know the truth of the matter is sometimes i forget to give other guys the credit for what they did out there as well because as, as selfish as it was you know with everything else going on around that whole situation, 
you know, for me, it was, it was my gunfight for what I had to do. And I couldn't really be focusing on everybody else and what they were doing. And so sometimes I fail to recognize that, man, you guys were all out there being freaking heroes and we're all freaking scared to death and we're all terrified of what just happened. And I've got another guy, at least one guy that I know of behind me that was taking those same three rounds, you know, and, you know, the sergeant that was running the scene out there, Joe, he was standing down range of Dave as well. He took those three rounds that Dave took as well. Um, Dave just happened to catch the two out of three that he was getting shot at, you know, it's like, fuck, man. So you just, you don't really ever know. So, so I'm here for a reason, I guess. And uh, hopefully somebody takes something away from what I say and takes it to the next level or says, yeah, you're full of shit and goes another direction, which is cool. Okay. Too. I say that all the time. I try to make it clear that, Hey man, you know, yes, I survived my critical incident the way that I did. You're going to survive yours another whole kind of a different way. And you'll, that's, you'll- that's, the, that's the funny parts of it though, is that, you know, you, th- those guys that, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. All of a sudden that moment comes up. First thing that they're going to be playing in their head is, I remember that, you know, Officer Hoyer was telling me about that. You tried to warn me about this shit. <laughs> and I hope, I really hope that it's the, you know, the good side of things. Like, yeah, you know, you can kind of, I mean, God bless Dave. I love him still clearly, but there's things you just kind of have to take away and, and some sort of humor. I hope it's that side of things that you realize that, Holy shit, man, that was really bad. Like I joke about when I started first taking those rounds, the first thing I want to do is drop my shit and run. And I'm like, uh, you know, cause I was, I mean, I was scared to death, but you know, you clearly you can't do that. I mean, I, I could have, but I would have never lived that one down either. But, uh, things you just got to take away from it and realize that, you know, on some level, you don't really have much say so in whatever happens anyways, you know, uh, in the spiritual side of things, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch on that now. I will when we start getting deeper into the book a little bit, but, um, no, but I mean, it's the conversation that needs to be had though, because, you know, again, it's going to be that cadet sitting in there that, you know, thinks they're Superman. And then it's the, you have that same guy that says, I'm not going to draw my, I know I'll never have to draw my firearm. Well, you know, that critical incident right there could have went real, real bad if that said individual was in place of you. Yeah. And he's just standing there, locked up, frozen, not knowing what to do, or, you know, does run for his life, you yeah, know, right. and, you know, how many other individuals would have been put down? Period. True. I mean, that's yeah. the reality of it. So, Well, speaking of the happy side of things, um, we're all praying, um, I never met the kid, but I uh, got a kid in Phoenix, 22 years old, um, Tyler. Tyler, yeah, he got put in. He, he was in the hospital. I mean, because he was in a coma. Yeah, I think and so. then and yeah, he was in a coma. But well, I heard today from Natalie that he actually smiled today. So still, obviously, clearly laying in his hospital bed, but he actually smiled. We don't know if that was a reaction to whatever, or he's actually consciously being able to do it now. But man, that's that's huge. This kid took. Uh, I think he took eight rounds. Um, I'm not sure how many to the face or to the head. Apparently he had one lodged in his spine too. You know, it's like, ah. and here we are two weeks later, three weeks later. And now he, I know he opened his eyes the other day and then today he smiled. So man, God bless him, man. So I'd like well, to, that's, that's, that's because he heard the beep, beep, beep in the background. He's like, I'm alive. Yeah. yeah <laughs> could very well be there. So, it's way late in the show, and I know I, I, I missed the opportunity to do it early on, but I'd love to dedicate this episode to him if we can, man, because uh, 
he definitely deserves it. So, and, and God bless his family and the wife and all the guys that are pulling for him. I know we've Nat and I've been praying for him forever you know, since we heard about it. And I hate, I just hate those calls. When I wake up to my phone, it's, you know, three o'clock in the morning and I got messages saying, Hey, we got this incident that happened. I'm like, Oh man, you know, it's happened over my career. I mean, literally for the last 20 years, you know, so 23. Yeah. So I get a lot of lashback because it's incidences like that. That I like talking about because for some forsaken reason, the media doesn't like to, you know, show that. Now, if it would have went the other way, if Tyler would have put somebody else down, it would have been like, oh my, oh, oh, this officer just, you know, it's it's fucking disgusting. Excuse my language, but it's. But luckily, um, some of the media is actually on our side, and one of our, uh, I can't remember if he's a city council member or whatever, uh, Sal, yeah. yeah. We do have a few handful of guys that are actually on our side that do support us um, out there. Well, I shouldn't say us because I'm not part of that organization anymore, um, living in another whole state. But I do recognize that there are people out there that um, that do do the proper news and they do cover the barbecues and, the, you know, the funerals and all these kinds of things in support of not just because, you know, if it bleeds, it leads and that kind of shit, you know, because uh, I've been on the wrong side of that as well. You know, I got accused of executing a Mexican national. I'm like, uh, well, first of all, I didn't execute the guy. He pulled a gun on me. Second of all, the guy's Aryan Brotherhood. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's not a Mexican national. But that's what it was. Three days of that shit on the, on the freaking 5 o'clock news every day for three days. And they're showing my picture all over the freaking TV. And I'm like, thanks a lot, guys. You know, first of all, you don't know your facts. And now you're making up shit because you don't really know the truth. You know? So I was like, whatever. <laughs> right? I'm off my soapbox now. So that's awesome. Yeah. No, it's the uh, it, it it is and it's factors like that though that again i keep going back to the cadets because it's the that's why i love what you do because it's the they're the ones that need to hear this i mean yeah. the veterans need to hear it as well too because you know especially those on their high horse thinking that they've seen it all and they've done it all and they know it all the ikeas of the world i know everything asshole you know but it's the it, they really do need to have that real life put in there real scenarios brought to them and it's the this is what it is. You know, how's that going to affect? Because again, that drawback to where, you know, if all it is is just lashback, lashback, lashback against law enforcement, military, or anybody else, you know, how hesitant is the already hesitant individual going to be when it comes to confronting a subject? You know, is it going to be that, oh, I don't want to be that guy on the news because I had to put this guy down or, you know, act to save my life or other people's lives, you know? So it's the, it, it, it plays a big, big, big role in, you know, individuals fulfilling their careers and, you know, a, a, upholding their duties every day. So, yeah. And I mean, truth be told, in all fairness, it is, it is very difficult to make that decision. Um, and just, I was telling people all the time, it's the biggest decision you're ever going to make in your life in the shortest amount of time to pull that trigger. Um, but if you, you know, if you remember why you're doing this to begin with, and then you remember that, you know, it's not your decision by any stretch of imagination. I mean, yeah, you're out there with your, with your weapons and stuff like that, but this guy made that decision. Um, and you know you're you're probably saving a life by taking a life you know be it your own or somebody else's or whatever i know um another agency right out there in the west valley um kid same thing i mean i talked to him we were actually at his briefing um gave my my long presentation my powerpoint that i do and uh told him hey these are the things you're going to be probably facing if you ever have to and sure enough man patrol rifle kill um put the guy down had to shoot the guy in the back but fully justified, you know? And so I'm waiting for that phone call that he's going to say, Hey man, you know, 
either helped me or you were right or, oh, my God, now I understand. And so I love talking to the rookies and letting them know, hey, man, this is what you could potentially be facing. I love talking to the vets going, I don't care how, how much of a rock star you are or you were at some point in time, all that stuff that you saw, if you haven't already dealt with it or you're in just in denial, it's going to catch up to you. I promise you that it will. Um, and that's okay. You know, I don't have a problem with that. Just recognize it and just take it on board for what it is. You know, so, Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, it's always, it's always the ones that have something to say about the, the taking a life that view the public executions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No be it, so. you know. I wish it was back in the old days, like, uh, um, whatchamacallit there, uh, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, when the guy's carrying his own coffin down the street, you know, and then next thing you know, he's in it. It's like, uh, you know, if we could do that, man, things would be a little less chaotic, I would think, but clearly we can't do that because, God forbid, you know. But, you know, it's it's a crazy world. Uh, I'm not going to get into politics. Of course, we don't have time, and I don't even want to talk about it because I'm in a pretty good mood. So <laughs> I want to stay in a good mood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um We'll cover it later because, I mean, that, that is important as well, though, too, because, I mean, a lot of that does affect, you know, the upholding of, you know, one's position and role and everything else, too. So, you know, we, we try we try to ignore it because, you know, some of it is just a bunch of BS that makes all of us unhappy. Hence, you not want to talk about it so you can stay in a good mood. But, you know, there's so many different things that do affect, you know, somebody really upholding the responsibilities, duties, and everything else, you know, regardless of what first responder, I mean, look at the nurses being, you know, shunned because of this back. I don't, okay. I don't want to get into this, <clears throat> you know, so. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I know it's completely unfair of me to sit here on my side of the fence, fat, dumb, and happy, retired talking about, well, this is how it's supposed to be when these guys are still out there fighting the fight, you know, what, what the fuck, you know, you haven't been on the street in over three years and now you're telling me how to conduct myself. I'm not, I'm not trying to do that at all. You know, I mean, because believe me when I tell you, I mean, I had to fight my battles out there as well. Um, and I never had to deal with the climate that they're dealing with today ever in my career, you know, because it was pretty much mostly positive on our side. Now it's kind of flipped and I, I hate it. I can't stand the way that it's going. Um, and I'm not going to even try to lie and say, I understand it. Cause I flat out don't, I don't understand what it's like to be that much, you know, hatred toward us, you know, and, you know, I got to commend the guys. God bless them. The guys are like, you know, I don't do this for them. I'm doing this for me, for my community, for my family. Um, those are the guys that are going to shine. They're the ones that are going to make it through their careers. Um, the guys that fold, whatever their personal reasons are, they decide this isn't for them anymore. Hey, you know what? God bless them. You, you tried it out. It didn't work for you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to say, well, you should be doing it anyways because Chris Hoyer says, you know, you need to stick it out, man. You signed that freaking that dotted line. Fucking bullshit because I'm not fighting that fight. And I can't say that, you know, I wouldn't be in the exact same boat because when I had, you know, going off another soapbox here, I think I had uh, like 13 years on or something and I got completely burned out and I was ready to call it quits. So I'm like, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. I lost, lost the love for it. Um, somehow found my love again, got rallied and, and got back into it. It was great. But some guys get to that point and they're, you know, they're done. They're like, yeah. This was great for a long time, but now I, I can't do it anymore. And I, I can't blame guys for doing that. You know, well, so. some, sometimes by them stepping out, I mean, the, the, ultimately they're saving lives, be, you know, because I mean, if they're not, you know, willing or able to fulfill their duties, responsibilities and things like that, you know, ultimately, <laughs> if it causes that hesitation, you know, ultimately it could jeopardize themselves, another brother, sister, 
right. civilians and all that other stuff as right. well too. So you know as well as I do, man. If you're already saying you're not willing to pull your gun, you're not willing to do these kinds of things. I'll I'll say it, and it's going to be completely rude. And I'm going to probably get a lot of fuck yous on the thing here, but it's you know if you're not willing to do that, don't fucking back me up. Don't put your uniform on. Stay home. If you're not willing to perform the duties that you signed up for, go do something else. Take a break. Go be, you know, go be a meter maid or something for a little while or whatever else you got to do. Parking, parking police. Something that's, you know, less confrontational, less enforcement related or whatever it is. That's exactly what I did. And I can say it that way because I got forced off the street because I just wasn't mentally fit anymore to be out there. Um, And that wasn't really my choice. But if you already know that that's where you are, dude, take a step back. I mean, seriously, just go off and do something else for a while. Take burn off all your freaking your sick time and your and your leave time or whatever you got and go go fishing for a while or whatever. Try to search out and figure out why you started doing this to begin with. And if you can get back into it, cool. If you can't, dude, freaking leave someplace else. And it's again, that's easy for me to say on my side of the fence. Oh yeah, you know everything, right? No, I don't. I don't know jack shit, but I do know enough to you know, realize that when you're not fifty, I mean, you should be doing it. So. Any individual that's been through what you've been through, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty safe to say you kind of know yeah. what you're through. <laughs> well, I don't know about all that, but I, you know, I was just one of those guys. I just, you know, I was too stupid to say no. I'm like, yeah, cool, bad guy, let's go. You know, it's like shiny squirrel thing. You know, <laughs> so it's like, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough. I mean, no matter what you're looking at, first responder community right now, even the fire department, um, nurses, everybody else that's out there on the front line, they're getting a bad rap, man, across the board. And I, and I hate it. I really wish I could save the world. But, you know, I, I just don't know what we're, what we're going to do about it. Just let it let it right itself. It will eventually. It's going to take a while. I know it's going to come back around because my son, he's, he's talking about joining up with the, my old agency. And he's worried about the negative backlash and everything else going on. I said, dude, you know, everything, everything's going to write itself over time. And by the time you get out there and you're out there doing your thing, um, you're going to be so inundated with all the, all the paperwork and all the newness, everything going on. You're not even going to be paying attention to that stuff. By the time you're solo and competent, this stuff's going to probably start to fizzle out, you know, and then hopefully we'll have a new person, you know, at the top of the food chain here. And then everything will settle back down to where it's supposed to be. But that's again, I'm not getting into politics ish but so <laughs> sure. um, but uh yeah that's pretty much all i got for tonight bro so all right i'm just trying to i've seen this comment i can't even like can you see the comment there from this i, I can't even like see the name or uh, anyway i'm not even gonna I'm not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even gonna make that one like visible but anyway so but you know before we end though i do want to say like you know prayers for the tyler uh Dovin. Yeah. I want to mispronounce that and everything else too. You know, I mean, I know he's still in critical condition and things like that. I got prayers for the family and that he pulls out of the critical condition and things like that and, you know, recoups from that. I mean, it's, it's a blessing. He is still alive as her, you know, the rounds that he took and everything. So it's, yeah, it's a miracle. Nothing, nothing so, short of a miracle. So, um, so I would, I would love nothing more than to have a conversation with that kid and just let him know how much of a freaking rock star he is and how much we love him, you know, because um, he is, you know, he's the version of me that, you know, got shot where I, I did that exact same thing so many times throughout my career and somehow came out unscathed. I mean, he was only two years on and look what happens, you know. Um, God willing, he makes a full recovery and he can get back out there. Dude, <laughs> that, that's 
I mean, that's the bravest thing I'll ever probably ever witness in my life. You know, that'd be awesome. Even if he just survives and, you know, we could just sit down and have a conversation about it sometime. I'd absolutely love that too, you know, but yeah, I mean, because it's the, you know, individuals like that, you know, sometimes even just desk duty until they're like ready to go hit the streets, you know, do us justice a lot of times too, you know, so. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, especially for his family, you know, I mean, he's, he's a freaking baby. I mean, I've got my daughter is like almost 10 years older than him. I'm like, Oh my God, how'd that happen? You know? So I think about that and I think about my own, you know, my youngest is only 20, you know? And it's like, man, that could be, any one of us, any us. time, you know, so, but, uh, yes, sir. so God bless him, man. God bless you too, man. I love this, love this kind of stuff. So me too. let's, uh, let's pick another time for when we can do this again and we're going to get, you know, you know who on board, whether she likes it or not. So Natalie. next time, next time. <laughs> so well, she says, yeah, and then we'll, uh, once her books out there, we'll do a little book read with her as well too. I think that'd be wonderful. Heck yeah. Maybe uh, we'll do two back to back because her should be out within a week and a half, two weeks at the most. And she can actually show you her book cover and then I'll be like in the shadows. You know, there will be no more Chris Hoyer and Michael Bagby. It's just going to be the Natalie show. (laughs) I mean, you know, she 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 puts her name on the book, but don't want to appear. I know. Right. I'm going to, she says. Next yeah. time, schedule it and I'll be there. But I have to have preparation time. Take time oh. to look good. <laughs> hey, hey, how many times you hear that from the cadets that you train all the time, Chris? Oh, yeah. yeah, next time. Next time, yeah. I'll participate no, next time. There is no next time. Tomorrow is not promised to anybody. So, Absolutely. Yeah. All right, my brother, I will catch up with you soon. Thanks for the all the love and reading and we'll pick up on is it chapter eight next time i think yes sir i'll, re- right. I'll remember it this time right. <laughs> I could, I could maybe, maybe it's because like we just i discussed some of the things that i've already read it so sometimes like while in the readings i like kind of jump ahead and things like that a little bit but yeah i appreciate yeah. you so much man and uh you guys stay safe stay blessed and all things and natalie better be on here soon i'm gonna put a countdown of like days like like how people count down for Christmas, <laughs> count down until Natalie's appearance. <laughs> you guys stay I safe, love, stay blessed. I love you, brother, man. Thank you so much. Cool. Yes, sir. Later.